ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Media Camp, and I'm today here with Paul Koya, who has been named Scottish Radio Presenter of the Year. He's a multi-award winning TV and radio presenter who has done it all in the world of media. He worked on BBC, ITV, Sky, done reporting, narration, business coaching, you name it. His voice also opened Channel 4, Disney's ABC One, and there's a lot more to this. You'll hear about it later in this interview. Paul, thank you for coming. Welcome to uh, Media Camp. Sergey, thank you for asking. What projects keep you excited right now? You've done so many. What are you What are you up to right now? What am I up to at the moment? I'm doing radio work for the BBC, but I'm also coaching executives here in the UK, in Switzerland, in Germany, and via the wonders of Zoom, Ecuador, Australia, mm. Newfoundland, um, all over the place. So I'm just having a ball doing all sorts of different types of things, but I do think they're all connected. Whether you're doing radio or TV or coaching somebody in how to speak in public, you're talking about communication. So one feeds into the other. It's all about getting a message across. I was going to say that your coaching is very much, or a big part of it is, how do you show up on TV, on camera? How do you present? How do you talk? How do you take your point across? Yeah. So if I'm dealing with executives, it can be something as project specific as we have our end of year results. We've got to present them to the analysts and the journalists, give us some help. How do I do it? What are the difficult questions going to be? That kind of thing is wonderful. Or it can be we have a crisis. There's a problem. We've got to go on TV on the news tomorrow to explain why we are letting 200 employees go. What's the best way to do it? So it, it covers a, a complete gamut from good news to bad news. But at the end of the day, it's all about protecting your reputation and your company's reputation and communicating the message that you want to communicate. I was going to I'm going to take that. You are firing 200 employees. Somebody's firing 200 employees tomorrow. What do you normally do in those cases? I mean, you've got to write some sort of a speech or some sort of a script. And well, what would you you would you would help to come up with a structure that doesn't sound too crazy and protects the PR aspect of the company? Mm. My guess. Yes, but you have to do it with humility and realize that you're not the expert on their company, their communications team. They're the experts. Their investor relations people are the experts. The marketing team are the experts. You, if you are an expert, you're an expert on how to communicate their messages. And doing what I do, they may say, right, I think if they ask this question, you should say that. My job is to say, well, no, because if you do say that, the journalist will follow up with this avenue, and then you're up a dead end and you can't get out. Far better to go down this route. And then I'll show them how to do that. But uh, I, I, I never go in and dictate for two reasons. One, I don't know the company as well as they do. But two, if you dictate, you're trying to turn the presenter, in this case, somebody from the company, say the CEO, you're trying to turn them into something he's not, which is a robot or something like that. If communication training is going to happen effectively, then you are just trying to get that person to be themselves but in a very media-friendly way. You're not trying to teach them to be somebody else because that ultimately is doomed. It's like uh, the first rule of acting. Which is what? Which is uh, not be yourself, don't try to act. It's like, <laughs> it's like the first thing you do when you go into the acting school, they're trying to teach you how not to do that, how to be the, as natural as you can be. Uh, because there will be a question that is not in the script for that media person at the company, how are they gonna react? probably yeah. have what everybody's trying to find out. 
Yeah, but I, not being an actor, although I've done a bit, but I'm not an actor. Um, I'm not sure what the second rule is, but I would imagine that one of the rules in the top five is listen, because if you don't open your ears as well as your mouth, you cannot react on stage and film and TV um, because your expressions will be wrong, your demeanor will be wrong, and your inflections in your voice will be wrong. So I do always say to people, I'm not here to teach you how to speak only, I'm here to teach you how to listen so that you can react to the questions appropriately. In what circumstances, Paul, do you actually follow a certain framework? Uh, as an example, if um, let's say there's a product launch or if there's some sort of a comp some companies la launching a service, most of the time they would follow a pattern of here's the problem on the market. Uh, here's how you've been doing it before. Here's why it doesn't work. This is what we came up with. This is what the people think about it. The reviews, testimonials, those sorts of things. Do you actually have certain frameworks that you apply or most of the time it's case by case basis? No, there are certain principles which I apply, which I arrogantly probably believe set me apart from some of my cohorts. And that is that the first thing I say to people when I'm coaching them, no matter whether they are a lord preparing for a maiden speech in the House of Lords, a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, or somebody further down right. in the company. First thing I say to them is, right, there are two ways we can do this. One, you can perform, and I'll say, that's really great, Sergey. but maybe we could try it a different way with a different inflection and see if we can take it to a different place because you've got the right idea, But so which is a lot of words. Or I can just say, Sergey, that's shit. Here's why it's shit. Let's fix it. Which one do you want? And 99 times out of 100, they say, let's go the second route. It's quicker. They don't want all the mollycoddling and the niceties, which a lot of coaches do. And I understand why they do it, but you get much more done if you're just honest. But you cannot just say to somebody that's terrible without telling them why it's terrible and how to fix it, because otherwise you're just being a smarty pants. There's no point in that. So what I do is going back to what your question was about, there's a product, we've marketed it before, it didn't work, what are we going to change this time? I would say to you almost always, the problem is not with the product, it's with the person who's delivering the message because they are doing it as a robot. And I'll give you an example of how I try to remind them that what they bring to this presentation is themselves. I will say to CEO, why are you the CEO? And he said, because the board of directors and the chairman appointed me, why did they do that? Because they thought I had experience. Yeah, but more than that, lots of people got experience. What? It's because they think you're the best person for the job, right? So everything you, Sergey, have within you, with your experience, with the type of person you are, your communication with individuals that they have seen, what you did at the interview, that's in there and that's part of you. So why would we want to box that all off and turn you into somebody you're not? Let's let you shine through. And I had a problem with a company, I won't, I won't say exactly which company, but they're a world, a global renowned company, a telecoms company. And one of the directors had to give a presentation and he didn't choose the subject. This was a big event. Mm -hmm. It was going on for five days. We had 4,000 different people in the audience every day. And he had been given the task of talking about how you turn your clients from just needing your product to loving your product. Everybody needs to drink water, but does everybody love water? No, they just need it. How do you get them to love your product and your company? So he said to me, I have no idea how to do this. And I said, well, let's forget about the subject. Let's talk about you. 
what, what do you like? What's your history? What do you do? And I discovered that at weekends, he played in the band just with his mate. He'd done it ever since university. So that gave me the idea and working over weeks with him, we turned it into a presentation where going from uh, needing the product to, to actually loving it, we built it around meat loaves. I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you two out of three ain't bad. So he walked on to that. Um, we made up a film of a call center doing that. We basically just went for it in a musical style. And when he finished, he walked off stage to applause and then came back on stage with a guitar. And he stood in the middle of the stage and he played All You Need Is Love. And in this hall with four and a half thousand people in the audience, on the cyclorama going around, we had the lyrics of All You Need Is Love. And I got a budget from them and we paid a brass band to come in in Sergeant Pepper clothes to join him on stage. So he'd go, All You Need Is Love. And the audience were all singing it. And that was the presentation that everyone remembered. That came out of him being himself and the message stuck. So don't just repeat the message of before, personalize it, say why you love the product, why it's gonna make a difference to your life, bring yourself to it. It's something uh, does remind me quite a bit about script writing uh, for film in many ways, where they say that the writer has to find their own voice and finding their own voice really a lot of times comes from a painful experience or very deep experience that they really have had because otherwise you're writing uh, what would you would probably say like a robot and and when you are presented it's it's very much like what do you emotionally connect to and how do yeah. you transfer those, those emotions to exactly something else because otherwise you're just trying to read the script well yes i mean an actor can be a terrible actor just by reciting the lines that's what we did at school when we had to stand up each day and recite poetry well, you know, when you're seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, you have no idea what half the time what the poem means, or you're reading from Shakespeare during the English class. Um, that's easy. We can all read. You know, one of the easiest jobs in the world, and I've done it, so I can tell you it's that easy, is reading an autocue where the words are there. All you're doing is reading out loud, which we do at seven years of age. You know, yeah, you can make money yeah. out of that, but effectively right. you're just reading out loud. You've got to personalize it. And if you are calling on your experiences, it will come so much more alive. Having said that, some people like JK Rowling, JK Rowling's written about wizards and witches and orphan yeah. boys and all that. Well, she's never been a witch as far as I'm aware. She doesn't know any wizards. So sometimes it's not based on, on your experiences, based on your imagination. But I would contend that your imagination will only go as far as your experiences have informed. So your imagination stretches and is more elastic the more events and experiences you pack into your life. It's a, a, a subjective representation of your world, uh, which I mean, all of that is subjective, but it's uh, like you said, it is 100% extends as far as your, uh, uh, your experience to practical. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, could, could I, for instance, talk knowledgeably about bringing kids up? I couldn't have done it years ago when I didn't have kids. I can now because I've had the experiences. I could have asked my friends and they could have told me, but it would have been secondhand. So I do think that depending on what you're going to write, if it doesn't involve a lot of imagination, if you want it to be based in reality, it's got to be based in your reality and your experience. Bring yourself. I was going to ask you, Paul, uh, when you get to meet young presenters, somebody who wants to be on TV, uh, maybe they want to host a show, what is the one thing they never ask you 
but you wish they did? Well, most of them say, and in fact, I do this every week. Uh, I, uh, through a charity, I uh, talk to maybe a student every week or every two weeks, a different one who wants career advice. And they will say, I want to get into the media. I say, great, okay, what do you want to do in the media? And a lot of them stumble at that first hurdle. They haven't even thought that far ahead. They're doing a media degree or a journalism degree, but they don't know what they want to do with it. They just want to get into the media. I say, well, do you want to produce? Do you want to direct? Do you want to act? Do you want to script write? Do you want to be a presenter? Do you want to write music? What is it? And most of them haven't thought it through. So in my case, I knew from the off, right from the beginning, what I wanted to do. And I planned in my head how to get there. Now, I'm happy, delighted to offer any advice to people, but I do want them to at least have given it the thought, given it the time to think through exactly what it is they want to do. Getting into the media now, although there's more media than ever before, uh, say for instance, radio in the UK, it's very difficult because there are any number of radio stations, but most of them are networked. So whereas before there would be 20 breakfast shows around the country, it's now one that's coming centrally from London. So you've really got to be fixed, blinkered on what you want to do and tenacious, never take no for an answer. There was a post by, um, uh, speaking of tenacious, there was a post by a gentleman, I think it was from Switzerland um, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Neil H. I um, haven't seen the last last name, but you've commented, you said uh, he was talking about how his parents sacrificed everything for him to be a broadcaster. And you said you commented perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. I, uh, I, know, I, uh, I couldn't help but notice that. Well, he was asking, he was putting it out there and saying to people, what are the three things that have got you to where you are in your uh, right. workspace just now? And I said, perseverance, 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 because when I first tried to get into radio, I sent in a demo tape and the program controller at the radio station asked to see me. And when I sat down for a cup of tea with him, thinking he was gonna offer me a job, he actually said, I just wanted to put a face to the worst demo tape I have ever heard in my life, right? Now I could have gone and, and walked away, but going back to what I said earlier about how you can say something's dreadful, but don't be a smarty pants, see how to fix it. And what he did say was, but I think you've got potential, go off to hospital radio if they'll have you and do six months there and then send me another tape. So I did. And I went to hospital radio where I didn't get near a microphone for the first two months. I was sent out on freezing nights to go to the hospitals and get requests and bring them back and sort out the records for the presenter to play. Now, that's quite humbling when you think you're going to be a superstar on the radio. But that's part of the gig. It's that perseverance and thinking, right, okay, so now I've done it. Then I went back to him and he gave me a, a gig through the night, two till six Sunday mornings. And from there, I expanded and expanded. And then I wanted to get into TV. And again, I had to do the same, but I was hitting a brick wall and I had a conversation with a guest on a radio show. And I said, I'm really having a problem with this. And he said, well, don't give up. I said, no, I'm not going to give up. He said, give me a week. I didn't think any more about it. And then I got a phone call from the TV station. Would you like to come in and do a guest slot on this program? And I said, thank you. And I discovered afterwards that this guest had written a letter 
not using his own name, but just saying, we've, we've heard that Paul Coy on the radio. We'd love to know what he looks like. Can you have him on your show? And so, oh, I wow. on, and so it, it grew from there. Then I got a job as an announcer with the station, but I thought, no, I want to do more. So I persevered and persevered and I got my own talk show. And from there, blah, 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 blah. So at each stage, nothing but nothing fell into my lap and nor should it, I wasn't good enough. At each stage, I had to persevere, not just in terms of not taking no for an answer, but persevere in improving me as a broadcaster until I got to the stage where people were willing to pay me money and trusted me enough to do the job. So tenacity, perseverance, when you hear the word no, hear it as not yet. Not yet. Not as no. Yeah. yeah. What uh, made you convinced that you wanted to be a presenter? You said you from the get-go, you had that, mm. that fixed um, thing that drove yeah. you. Yeah. What made me want to do was my dad worked in TV as a lighting director. So I grew up around TV. I would be in the TV studios for the kids' Christmas party. We'd go and meet my dad from work if my mom was in town shopping. Uh, when I went to school every Friday night, myself and my brother, we would go to the studios, we'd wait for him to finish work, and then he would drive us home. So I was always around that environment since I was in, um, well, since I was in um, kindergarten. And so it was not something that I was starstruck by, by any manner of means. I knew what it was. I knew how it worked. My dad had worked his way up the, the chain and had become a director of the company. And at each stage, I was learning more and more about his job and the people he was interacting with. And the job that leapt out for me through all those years of going into the studios was a presenter. I thought it must be the most fun to meet so many different people, to interview them, to chat to them, to find out about them. I just thought, that's what I want to do. That's, that, that's going to be my, my life. That's how when, I knew. When you started, uh, Paul, you started, was it... You know, you have a classic, a classic meme, expectations versus reality. Was it, mm -hmm. uh, was it a match for you or was it uh, quite a bit different for the first few episodes when you were interviewing people you started presenting? Well, the very first interview I did on TV, the very first interview I did for radio was for hospital radio. And I interviewed a guy called Lionel Bart. And he's the guy who wrote Oliver, the musical. And this was shortly before he died. Uh, so he wasn't well but he was the loveliest man. I must have been dreadful, my first interview. I mean, I, I probably couldn't speak with nerves. And he was so nice. And at the end, I asked him to sign a photograph. I said, I, I don't know if I'll do any more interviews in my life, but I would love to have a souvenir. And he didn't just sign the photo. He spoke to me for about five minutes. He said, we've been talking for half an hour about me. Let's talk about you. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do outside hospital radio? And I explained. And he signed a very, very personal message about good luck with your career. I hope it works out. And he personalized it to such an extent that it quite moved me. He didn't just sign it. And he said to me after he signed it, he said, please take this as a lesson. If you do get to where you want to be and anybody ever asks you for an autograph, never, never just sign it, personalize it. So I thought, oh, all guests are going to be like this. This is great. And then I interviewed a couple of guess who couldn't be bothered let's just say that didn't play the game and I started to take that personally and I had to learn through perseverance that actually the problem lies with them not with me if they can't be bothered to play the game if the film stars doing the publicity tour but is tired and can't be bothered 
That's their problem. It's not mine. My job, I'm being paid to make it entertaining for the listeners or the viewers. You, if you don't want to play the game, you're going to have to try and adapt to my game because I'm going to have to try and pull the rabbit out of the hat. I've worked with people who have just cancelled interviews at the last minute. Oh, there's a lot of those. Right, yeah, yeah. So, um, in fact, one I remember, Britt Eklund, who uh, had been a Bond girl and she's been in lots of movies, was married to Peter Sellers. This is only a few years ago. And I had, I don't know why it happened, but I had to do a radio interview with her because she was being paid by a company to promote something. And I said, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And just before we did it, and I had trailed it that it was going to be on the radio show that night, the guy on the other end said, I'm sorry, Miss Eklund can't do it. And I said, well, we're ready to record. We've said it's going out tonight. No, she's too tired. I said, well, would you remind her that she's being paid? She's only been doing it since 10 o'clock this morning. It's now two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, they said, no, she's not going to do it. I said, well, don't pay her then. Um, and I just think if people accept that they are part of the game, they've got to play by the rules. And if they won't, it takes you as a as an, um, a presenter or an interrogator, if you like. It takes you a long time, or certainly with me, to get the confidence to just say, nah, I'm walking away from this. I've got to respect myself, the program, the listeners, more than I've got to respect you. Play the game and I'm yours. Don't play the game and please, please just don't, don't get involved. It reminds me very much of uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, I don't know if you follow uh, uh, NBA, but he was saying, um, uh, I've watched a couple of his interviews on YouTube and one, something that, that really I, I remember is his back was really hurting him. They were playing the game in Canada in Toronto. And he said, my back can be bothering me anytime, but today it's not bothering me because I, I'm going to be there. I, I'm, you know, everybody's come, came in to watch me and um, I've got to compete with all the guys. So any other day I'll be laying down and I'll be taking a day off, but not today. Good for him. Well, that's great because he realizes what it means to everybody who's going to be there. See, what, what does it take to spread a little joy as you go through life. Why would you be more worried about being tired than giving joy to hundreds, thousands of people? Why? It's just, I don't get it. I, I really don't understand it. Yeah. Paul, in your opinion, what is, will take a good presenter, somebody who's maybe mm. spent some time on BBC, maybe they've done Sky, they've done a few channels, they're good. And then there's somebody who is really great. What's the difference? Mm. How do they differ? The difference is their personality, because we're all different as people. Anyone can learn the basic rules of how to present a show. But the difference is when it goes wrong, how you get out of it. The difference is when your autocue goes down, how you get out of it, how you don't give away what's happening. The difference is how you interact with people. That's all down to you as a person. There are people in this country as presenters that I totally worship at their feet because they it's not something I can do what they do because they're different people than, than, than I am, but I just, I'm in awe of them. And it's all down to the individual. It's not that they have learned a talent that I haven't or nobody else has. It's got to be down to the individual. And conversely, there are some people who are terrible. Now they might have all the skills, but they don't come across the lens. They're not warm enough. They don't connect. It's down to them as, as people. It's, it's not something scientific. You've got to be the right kind of person. Right. When you when we look at the practice of um, interviewing or presenting or being a host, 
you obviously do learn the basics. You understand all the technical side. You've maybe done it a hundred times, two hundred times, a thousand times. Because that's probably I, I would probably call it base like table stakes because otherwise it's just not possible. So you've done all of that. Well, how else do you keep up the discipline? How how do you push your skills to be better? Like what is the practice of how do you train or do you train as doing the next episode or do you have certain practice like um, people would work out in the gym? Like, you know, they would, they would be keeping up with uh, their, their form before the game. Is there something like that for you? Or it's more about let's prepare as much as we can and hit another episode. Well, preparation is key, obviously, especially if you're doing an interview, you have to do your research. Um, I'll give you an example. For instance, uh, I was interviewing somebody recently and I thought, oh, what am I going to, you know, I've interviewed this person a dozen times in the past. They have done a dozen thousand interviews in the past. How can we make this different? And I, I went online and I found an old clip of them doing a, a guest spot in an old movie. And so what I did during the interview was, I just said to them, we're going to reenact something from your past. And he said, what? I said, well, I'll start it. And I gave the first line of the person who was in the movie and he was lost, completely lost, clueless. And I said, this is a movie that you did. And I handed him over what I typed up as the script. And we played the scene together. Now, he'd never done that. He'd forgotten about the film from the past. So um, it's finding something a little bit different. That's the preparation. If you just go into your interview and you ask all the questions that everyone else has done before because it's on Wikipedia, then pff, what's the point? What is the point? Uh, I did Tito Jackson recently talking about the Jacksons. And he'd done a blues album. And uh, I think it's... It's only out this month or something. So uh, funnily enough, I met him about two, three weeks ago where he had a party here in the UK to launch the album. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the interview and we'd done it by Zoom from his house. And he said how much he appreciated the interview and how much he'd, he'd uh, enjoyed the fact that I had done my homework. And the one question that stood out for him from that interview was I'd said to him, you've done a blues album. Yes, I have. Okay. Where does the blues come from? He said, the deep south. I said, yeah. And people say it comes from suffering. You've got the blues because you're having a tough time. You're living in poverty or, you know, the levee's broken and you're getting flooded or whatever. You're, you're coming out of a tough... Yeah. How can you sing the blues then, Tito, when you've had a privileged upbringing? You've had people running after you. You've been making money. You've had limousines all your life and private jets. How can you sing the blues? And that was the question that he remembered because he'd never been asked that before. Uh, and he had a great answer to it. And it involved his past and he hadn't always been privileged and how they came from poverty and how he'd had to work hard, et cetera, et cetera. It's finding something different. That's how you hone your skills. So it's not about there's a workout you can do. Yeah, uh, no, I don't, on the, yes. Right. It's about thinking clever. It's reinventing the interview each time you do it, trying to find different things. But also, if, you pre if I'm presenting a quiz show, then I usually find for the first three or four episodes, I'm kind of stilted because I'm not totally relaxed into the format. I'm trying to keep all the rules in my head. After that, then it builds up pace. And when you're doing quiz shows, I have done up to nine quiz shows a day. And you haven't got time to think about how am I going to make the next one different? You get 10 minutes between episodes to go off, get changed, come back, meet the new contestants, read the questions, and then you're off. So what you have to do is rely on being in the moment. And being in the moment refines your skills as well, because you suddenly find yourselves 
thinking things or saying things or doing things that you've never done before. And maybe even if you had given it thought before, you wouldn't have done it. So, Back to being great. Uh, sorry? Back to being great. Back to being that reactive to tone exactly. around. Exactly that. Exactly. So do I sit here and study how to be a presenter? No, I don't. But project specifically, I would do as much homework as I can, because it's the only way you can give yourself. If you're totally confident within yourself that you've got as much information as you need, then you can just go and be yourself. What do you feel a lot of presenters lack these days? You maybe open a Netflix show, any Netflix show, and you have a presenter. And what do you feel there's quite not there with them. Well, who am I to say? Uh, as an individual, as somebody who, take it away from being a broadcaster, uh, if I were just somebody who did some other job, worked in a supermarket or whatever, and was watching TV, I think a lot of them are too samey, too similar, where I would be thinking, which one did I watch last night? Because they've read the manual and they've forgotten a bit about Bring Yourself. I think there is too much of that, um, but that's me saying it as a viewer. It's not me saying it as a professional because that would be arrogant of me to suddenly say, oh, you should do this and you should do that. Because they would say to me, you should shut your mouth. Who the hell are you? And they'd be quite right. It's, it's a tough balance, I find, uh, to be to kind of fall into the roles, book, script, all of those things, yet at the same time, kind of push, push it to the limit to go off script. Because I feel mm. like the, the best bits or a lot of the great bits that people love, um, on, especially on YouTube and social, is out of context things. You know, a great reporter doing a reporting and there's um, an ice cream falls into, I don't know, like somewhere out of nowhere, lands on his shirt. These are how he reacts. These are cool. Like, yeah. I feel like that's really the, the difficult part, that finesse of, uh, of being compliant, yet pushing that compliance book or, or yeah. wall. It's true. But then, you see, because people react so well to that, I have come across, I, I, I have been a guest on uh, many shows which are based around the theme of when TV goes wrong. Might be when quiz shows go wrong, when dramas go wrong, when uh, right. whatever. Uh, and they send you the clips beforehand and then you go into the studio and they record you reacting to them. Now, I have seen clips where I know absolutely 100% that these things that are going wrong have been deliberately organized, not scripted as such, but fixed up and rehearsed beforehand. I know the people concerned. I've spoken to them. I know why they did it, to get a viral clip, to get ratings or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you have to be careful that what you're watching is a real uh, blooper where something's gone wrong and not something that's engineered. But when things go wrong, I just love it. I really, really love it because all artifice is gone if there is any artifice. It brings you as a presenter back, back to earth and back to normal. And uh, I, as a result of that, if somebody wants to play a gag, a joke on me when I'm presenting, if the director wants to do something or the producer wants to do something, or you know, if somebody has written something in my script that is not factually correct deliberately, there's, there's a great sketch if you can find it online of a, a, an old friend of mine, Chris Barry, who's an actor and impressionist. And he does this, it, it, it's, it's so clever. It's a, a newsreader reading the auto cue where he's not bothering, he's switched off, he's elsewhere, he's not bringing himself and he's detested by the whole crew. And the script writer, the auto cue person 
is just writing gibberish. And so he is just saying these things and delivering them as if they're absolutely true. And he'll say, today in the White House, an alien had dinner with a cup of tea, spilt it on his lap, and then his shoes fell off. He stood in a pile of dung. And then when he went home at night, his house collapsed. And that is, and so on and so on and so on. <laughs> he delivers it it's so well. And it finishes with, uh, and finally, I am the autocue person and I hate you because you are an obnoxious, self-centered idiot. And, but, and he reads these words, not in any way aware that this is the autocue person kissing him off. And there's a lot of that. And, and, and it's, it's wonderful if you can dig it out. Chris Barry's very, very clever man. I'll have a look. I'll definitely look it up. Paul, what is the one thing I haven't asked you in this interview, what you, you wish I did? Something I missed, maybe your final message to the audience. Um, Something enjoy, maybe- Enjoy, enjoy it. Why would you, if you're going to persevere and persevere and persevere, why would you, if you're going to hear the word no is not yet, why would you not want to get to a stage where everything you do is enjoyable, where you get up in the morning, you think, fantastic, I'm doing this radio show or that TV show or that interview or whatever. Why would you not want to just get up with a spring in your step? I, I am privileged. Everyone I know who does what I do is privileged to do what we are. We meet more people than most people will ever do. We meet more people from different walks of life than most people would do. We get to travel more than most people do. We have a great time and we make a living at it. It's, it's a fantasy almost. And if you're good enough to last at it, wow, a lifetime of memories. Enjoy it. Make the most Absolutely. of it. Don't fret. Enjoy it. Great message, Paul. Well, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. This was awesome. Thank you for coming. Sergey, believe me, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking. I'll be